Hey everybody, it's Adam Ray for the About Last Night podcast. Happy Thursday! Happy fucking New Year! You can still say that, right? Of course you can. It's February. We're not too far removed from January. Um, Man, great episode today. Holy shit. Talk about a comedy legend. Uh, Somebody who has been in the game and been crushing every aspect from... Uh, being on David Letterman 25 times, Johnny Carson, Jay Leno, uh, wrote and won Emmys for her work on Seinfeld, uh, worked on The Ellen Show, wrote for Steve Martin and Alec Baldwin for the Oscars, wrote on SNL, uh, and has a new book out called How to Succeed in Business Without Really Crying, which, man, Brad and I both read it. I did the audiobook. He read it. I cannot recommend this enough. Uh, our guest articulates and captures the essence of the entertainment business as well as just life lessons through her experiences. Uh, We talk about just one of the benefits of stand-up in our world um, and the uh, things you can learn that you can apply to life are uh, invaluable and uh, only through our business. And uh, she captures it incredibly in her book, which you got to get on Amazon or iTunes. Um, go see her live when she's doing stand-up. She'll be on my Adam Ray and Buddy show at the Comedy Store in March. Uh, and I'm talking about the one and only Carol Leifer. That's right, baby. Carol Leifer making her ALN debut and crushing it. This was just one of those classic uh, episodes where the stories are great, the laughs are solid and, and, uh, and frequent. And uh, Brad and I learned a lot. It's like so many poignant things in this book that you guys are going to be able to take with you. So um, enjoy the hell out of this episode. Follow Carol on Twitter at Carol Leifer. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Adam Ray Comedy, uh, at Funny Brad, at ALN Podcast, at Adam Ray Comedy on Instagram, ALN Podcast on Instagram, Brad Williams Comic on Instagram. Uh, tour dates, holy shit, I'm hitting the road Saturday. February 11th, Detroit, the Fillmore Theater. That's the start of the Adam Devine Weird Life Tour, baby. Uh, February 11th to March 4th. Man, three weeks. Theaters all around the country. Can't fucking wait, man. Going to be Facebook living a lot, doing some pods from the road. Uh, So make sure you follow me on all my social media so you can see some behind-the-scenes moments from the tour. Um, And uh, and it's going to be a fucking blast, dude. And then, of course, when I get back from the tour, uh, March 4th, which we will end at the Wiltern here in L.A., uh, and then I'm on the road uh, a bunch after that. All my tour dates at AdamRayTV.com. I'll be headlining Gotham Comedy Club in New York City, March 10th through the 12th. Co-headlining the Addison Improv in Dallas with my boy Amir K. from Mad TV, March 16th through the 18th. And then headlining the St. Louis Funny Bone, uh, March 24th through the 26th. Uh, and the San Francisco Punchline just added, April 5th through the 8th. Uh, can't wait. A lot of great shows, a lot of great cities, a lot of great clubs. Can't uh, can't wait to to get after it and build the hour. Getting close to a special. Uh, how close? Don't know yet, but some cool things in the works, and uh, the hour is getting close and tight. Brad Williams, uh, this weekend is not on the road, but February 16th through the 18th, he's in Syracuse, New York at the Funny Bone. Go to funnybone.com. Go see Brad February 16th through the 18th at the Syracuse Funny Bone. And then February 23rd through February 25th, Brad's in Raleigh, North Carolina at Goodnight's Comedy Club. So go see Brad there. Uh, Merch coming soon. As I told you, Brad is working on it. We will have that new link up and ready on the aboutlastnightpodcast.com website. In fact, it might even be up right now. Brad actually sent me something. I think it's actually up and running. So go check that out. Uh, Get your ALN shirts at aboutlastnightpodcast.com uh, or email us at aboutlastnightpod at gmail.com if you have specific Merck questions and inquiries. huh? Um, man, so many great episodes in the tank. We've got so many uh, uh, great conversations that we have stocked up uh, because I'm going to be on tour and we can't record any episodes for three weeks. Uh, Ryan Sickler, Justine Marino, uh, J. Chris Newberg, T.J. Miller, uh, fucking some other big ones I can't mention. Um, I just booked a job on my favorite show on TV that I can't say, but I will just say that, and um, we might get whatever. I look, just know that there's some really great shit coming down the pipeline. So make sure you're subscribed on iTunes. Make sure you're also subscribed to my other podcast, Good Call with Josh Wolf. Uh, we uh, just had Jonathan Coachman on the ESPN uh, Sports Center anchor. Michelle Beadle from Sports Nation is on next week, and uh, Joy McIntyre, my boy from New Kids on the Block, is uh, going to be on the week after that. 
we uh, recorded that episode today, and a lot of Patriots talk and a lot of uh, a lot of shit talking. Uh, Joey's show, Return of the Mac, which I play as manager on, a single camera comedy, Curb Your Enthusiasm style, will be premiering on Pop TV April twelfth. So make sure you're uh, tuned into that. That's coming up soon, and uh, Joe will come on the uh, on the ALN podcast and promote that for sure. Uh, now that we got the tour dates out of the way, those are the Twitter handles. And that's the merch info and the Good Call Pod info and the Return of the Mac info. So guess what? Sit back, relax, and enjoy a brand new episode of the About Last Night podcast with the one and only Carol Leifer. Well, the weekend's over, so it's time to chat about it. I mean, is there a bad Bette Midler story? I don't think there is. No. Because, like, does anyone tell the story? Like, one time I met Bette Midler. She called me the N-word, punched me in the face. (laughs) Craziest story ever. Weirdest Thanksgiving of my life. (laughs) Like, I I don't think there's that story. Yeah, no, you're not going to hear that. But, um... Uh, should I just launch into my best yeah, story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pull, mean, you don't pull that. Have to, don't have to be introduced. I mean, we do a whole intro at the top. You do? So we just, and then yeah. we just kind of go. Okay. We have an intro and a theme song, and then oh, it just goes into right. the episode. Yeah. Because you just yeah. told me a great Bette Midler story. I did. Yeah, you did. I should. I, I told it off air. Oh, you did. Maybe I should read. I think you should. Yeah. Well, the the longest short of it is, and by the way, it's great. I, I mean, I love that I even have a Bette Midler story. Yeah. How you many can, people do? These, Not many. <laughs> that's gonna be on your gravestone. Here lies Adam Ray. He has a Bette Midler story. <laughs> you know what? I was just talking. Two out of three people in one spot. That's yeah. really unusual. Yeah. Oh, God, step your game up. I gotta dude. keep yeah. up. All right. Live a cooler life is well, uh, gonna be on your gravestone. Bet if you're listening, which I assume you are, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. why wouldn't you be? Uh yeah, yeah, I, I, I well how about this? Bet Midler doesn't have a Brad Williams story. Oh, how about that? Enough. Fair enough. That? Well, you okay. don't know that. All right. Well, that's true. That's <laughs> like okay. I mean, does she need one? <laughs> She's Bet Miller. And I might not even have one after this podcast. <laughs> this is true. Uh, uh, I've, I've, my, my first interactions with a lot of women, they probably say the same thing. So nice. it's fine. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. So it was at um, uh, Melissa McCarthy holiday party, and she showed right up there. Okay, but stop right there. Right. That's pretty great. That's pretty cool. But you know Melissa McCarthy because you've been in her movies, but three. I movies. didn't know mm-hmm. that you have a friendship with her. Totally. Amazing. It's, you know, it's one of those things and, you know, um, you have so many great points in your book that we'll get to, but like one about, uh, I mean, when I got on the, on the set of The Heat, it was like all my scenes were with Sandra and Melissa and I'm sitting in the chairs, first movie, first like time on a set where there's that much downtime. And in my head, I was like, all right, I'm going to like feel this out. Like, obviously I want to chum them up and become best friends with them. That all is right. the goal here. Of course. Um, Everybody's goal. Right. But I don't want to like overstep boundaries or, um, you know, be that guy that's chumming them up when they're clearly not. But, you know, being a comic, you get good at reading the room on and off stage, I feel like. Absolutely. So I'm. It's one of the skills. Totally. The comedian. The the life skills we learn from stand up are like. Incredible. I feel almost bad for people that aren't comics because I'm yeah. like, there's so many social situations I have navigated through because of stand-up. That is so true. That's yeah. a really good point. Yeah. I'm going to s- put that in How to Succeed in Business Without Really Crying too. Uh, are, you, are you already working on a sequel? <laughs> um, just in my head, not yeah. officially. But I, I bet you th- will. But we should talk about that. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I'm sitting there and I, they have their iPads and they're doing some stuff and they're ch- chatting. And then... They started saying something to me, and then there was like, just like some silence for a little bit, and then I was like, you know what? I'm not just going to sit here. This is like awkward, and it's not my style to just sit and be quiet. So I started chumming them up, and they were so um, sweet, and it took a little bit. It took like a hangout outside of the set uh-huh. to really uh, get it going. Right. Where, booze, uh, booze helps. Booze helped a lot, yeah. <laughs> uh, Melissa got nice and tossed one night and was doing a rap about my beard and was grabbing me, oh. and like, you know, and it was real. And the next day, or two days after, and I remember I was like, man, you remember that rap about my beard? And she goes, you were there? <laughs> <laughs> and so that was a good laugh, and then it was kind of like... But you know what? In just hearing about this right now, you know, that could have really gone a different way because... You obviously felt out the situation and knew it was a good time to jump in and try to be chatty with them. But it could also have gone 
a way where you started chatting with them and they're polite and then five minutes later she goes over to the AD the assistant director and goes make sure the guest actors yeah. do not chat with us totally chat sure. with us and so somehow you avoided that and yeah. leapt over to friendly town yeah, yeah. uh and, and i think there's like i mean and it definitely and it car- everything you say is like carries so much weight so because you're like all right the first time you try to interject and be funny in a conversation like it better crush so yes, that they're exactly. like okay cool he can stay here and keep his name on that chair <laughs> um, yeah, right. not just silence but so uh so yeah so then after that it was um you know and then again just seeing her at some uh some parties and whatnot and, and you know texting here and there but uh and then again like you like you know preach on like keeping like sending notes after meetings and just like following up like it's all on you to do right, that exactly most yeah. McCarthy doesn't need to reach out to me but it's like once you get a certain level of rapport it's like all right well i'm gonna like text here and there about you know when she was sean spicer on snl recently or oh my god which was, that was the funniest thing one of the greatest things i've oh. seen yes, yes. comedically in a long time when yes, she when yes. she comes off the stage and starts ramming the reporter with the podium oh my god I lost you know it. what i am dying to know <laughs> if that, like who if that was in the script if that's something she came up with that's yeah. the brilliance of it I just wouldn't surprise dying me dying to know yeah it wouldn't know. surprise me if it was, if it was, it was completely because she's so locked yeah. into that yeah. world of and also just making choices and she's like is it such a locked in point where she trusts herself so hard where right. it's like right and, and also with the show they're probably like yo if you think of something to do like obviously just do it yeah absolutely yeah. there's such a, a freedom at that place well you know I know from having um Written there, yeah, yes, yeah, I do. For how many years were you a writer? And then we'll get back to the Bette Midler stories, which we, yeah, I we'll promise we will get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there for only a season, but it's actually a story in my book yeah, because yeah. I learned a big lesson from that year in SNL, mm-hmm. and it was um, like in retrospect, I look back now, I got a lot of stuff on. I got uh, you know sketches on with Tom Hanks and Angelica Whoa. Houston and Dudley Moore and um, so many people, but. Um, I was hired by Al Franken, <laughs> then just S- comedy Senator writer. Al yes, Franken. Senator Al Franken <laughs> and uh, Jim Downey, a mm-hmm. great, uh, who was there for years. Legendary writer, yeah. yeah. And, of course, Lauren Michaels is the top of the food chain there, the, you know, the head captain. And that was his comeback season? It was his comeback yeah, season after uh, Dick Ebersol took over for five years. Yeah. And the thing is, I always felt like I never cut it with Lauren. I just felt like he didn't like me. I just didn't feel like he responded to me. And as a young person with my first comedy writing job, as a result, I kind of like (laughs) kind of scattered whenever he'd be around Mm -hmm. instead of now that I know as someone who's been at it for a long time, I would have like fought my instinct and been like well if he doesn't like me or I get the sense he doesn't like me I'm gonna show him that he can like me I'm gonna put my best foot forward and not avoid him and fly under his radar so at the end of the season I actually didn't get invited back and I kind of look at it now as uh, a mistake that I made in my kind of way there at SNL I should have instead of avoiding Lauren really been front and center and yeah. tried to get him to change his mind about now it. I mean obviously that's easier said than done right like it is because I, I wonder especially with Lauren I also wonder like was it your just young person insecurities of like oh he doesn't like me because we're not best friends or was it really were there things that he did or the way he looked at you where you're like no this guy has a sour taste for whatever reason you or know, he hasn't gotten to know me and that's yeah. why he I felt like he doesn't maybe know me well enough yet. Right. But as a younger person, because of that, that made my insecurity and shyness amp that up yeah. as opposed to, right. oh, I'm going to try to hang out. I'll stay out of his way because he doesn't like me instead yeah. of like, well, let me yeah. show him who I am and then exactly. he'll like me. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and, and that's one thing I want to emphasize to our listeners why they need to go get your book, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Crying. Yes, thank you for saying that correctly. Yes, because there is a because there is a musical which I which I was in. I played Mr. Twimble. Thanks for asking. Hey, anyway. I was in too at USC. It was the only musical I did, and I was in the ensemble, and I could not dance, but I smiled a lot. Kelly Ward, who was in Greece, who was the director, goes, "You obviously can't dance very well." He goes, "Just smile a lot, and people think you're having a good time." And that worked. Huh? Great advice. <laughs> I got a lot of compliments. Fake it till you make it. My mom and her Jewish friends. But um, but uh, but one thing you go into is th- this. This isn't like a show business advice book. Is there's a lot of lessons that can be translated just into life in general. Yes. And that you you it, you say in the book how you need to look at those relationships and not how they can be used to your advantage, but like 
Adam said, you can't just wait for the relationship to happen. You have to be kind of proactive. Rather be making conversations, making time, showing like showing shared interest, or just follow, uh, following up on things. And that and that can help you not just in show business, but just in life in general. Yeah, in everything. I mean, because as long as I've been in comedy, which is a long time, and I have a you know knock wood a really long career, I've seen so many talented people who unfortunately their people skills were not great yeah. and didn't get as far as they could because they didn't work on the people skills that I talk you know, at length about in mm-hmm. my book that are so important. Conversely, I've also seen people who are minimally talented <laughs> who really weren't that great but got so far because Well, I mean, you just met me. I, I, don't, I don't know if that's <laughs> really nice to say. <laughs> and he keeps using the short thing as like some crutch and it's just not panning out. See, now I have my Brad story. <laughs> there you go. There you Done. go. Done. But and that that is like and we've seen that as well where that's where they say it's show business there is there is a business side of it and you can be extremely talented but that's that's not it if people don't like you or don't even know you or you you don't make an effort mm-hmm. then they're not going to think of you when they when they get a show and they need a writer or they need a or they need a performer they or even someone to open for them on the road like mm-hmm. uh, Adam and I are touring headliners and people ask us. If they if, if they can go on the road with us, and we always think the same thing, like A, are you funny? B, am I going to like spending exactly. time with you? Yes, exactly. Well, are I you talk a good hang? That. Right, yeah. I talk about that from you know writing for Seinfeld for all the seasons I did. You know, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld hired people that they thought were funny, mm-hmm. and they also people you know hired people who were quote an easy hang. Because yeah. you're s- together so many hours, and you can be the funniest person ever. But if you, you know, are not good in the room, and people don't like hanging out with you, you'll be gone. Can yeah. you can you be in a writer's room and be funny, not like to for the sake of the show, but be funny and just be like necessary to be in the room to like riff and banter? But maybe you aren't as good structurally, or yeah, do they have, do have writers? Do they ever hire people like that for shows? Just to I think you know, um, kind of not kind of court jester kind of to keep things rolling you know you have to you know any writing staff I've been on there's always kind of everybody with certain strengths there are certain people who are good structure strengths Mm -hmm. Um, like I worked on a show where we used to call this guy you know beautiful mind because you'd have some ideas and then he'd get up to the board and he'd just like (laughs) map it all out wow and then people who are great, just joke writers, just great punch-up joke writers, mm-hmm. and other people who have you know really good character story sense. So it's kind of like a mix of a lot of people. But you always like people around who you like to be around. Yeah. yeah. Um, your book. This is one of the most poignant and like. I mean, I'm going to reiterate things you've heard already, but like to get that business um, side of things and just I, I mean obviously like this is all coming from experience uh, and it's like the things that I wish I would have known like starting out like had this book have been around uh-huh. like graduating from USC in the acting school we had one person Henry Winkler came and spoke to us at the end okay. and then my uh, friend Henry Winkler. Henry yeah yes. um, he gave me advice for my first TV job wow when I got a guest star on According to Jim and he let, and I called him and I go because his son Max was in my fraternity oh okay so I met Henry I've told a story before but the first time I met him he comes in he goes it was Father um, Son Weekend at the frat, and he comes in. He goes, "Excuse me, um, I'm Max's father, and uh, uh, I have a, a good Henry I have a bag of laundry here, and uh, I just I would love to. Um, would you mind getting it safely to Max for me?" And I go, "Yeah, no problem." I go, "By the way, uh, you're you're the man." He goes, "Great, great. I am Henry Winkler." And I go, "I know." I go, "You're you're the greatest." He goes, "Yes, yes." Um, can you get this bag of laundry to Max? He goes, "You're not going to do any funny business with it, are you?" I go, "What?" He goes, "Like no one's going to shit in the bag, right?" I go, "What?" I go. This is my second year in the frat, but I haven't seen any shitting in bags. Not now, but that's a but that's a great idea. He's like, no weird. You guys do planting the idea. (laughs) He's like, you guys do weird frat stuff, so no shitting in in laundry bags. I go, no, I guarantee. He goes, can you promise me no shit on his clothes? I go, I'm giving you the Adam Ray stamp of of approval, and he goes, great, great. And then he gave me a hug and gave me laundry and goes, all the best. God. And well, then he is the nicest guy. The nicest. Yes. And when he left me, when I did a corner gym, and I called him, I was like, Henry, you've obviously been on sitcoms. Like, do you have any? And he left me his voicemail. And like, had I had the wherewithal to save it, it would be like right. it's something I'd probably listen to every day because it was Adam Ray, Henry Winkler. Congrats on the gig. You're going to be great. Uh-huh. They booked Adam Ray because they love Adam Ray. Don't be there just to fill space. If you think of something funny, say it. Treat Mr. Belushi like an emperor. All the best. Wow. 
And then best advice. Best advice. Uh, And then cut to a moment where, you know, first sitcom, live audience, unbelievable. They're rewriting uh, the whole end scene. People are pitching jokes. I have an idea for a joke. I'm standing on the outskirts, director, Belushi, Courtney Thorne-Smith, and I'm like, say it, say it. Henry, I hear Henry being like, you thought, you think of something funny, say it. And I go, what about this? And say it. And I wish I remember the joke. But I remember the feeling of everyone just looking and then right back to like, how about we come up with something else? And in my head, I was like, God damn it. And I almost heard Henry in my head be like, well, you tried. That's <laughs> what he would have said. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, but the, so they came to speak at the end of USC and they give us some business insight, but like not, I mean, and there's so much you learn from just doing, right? I mean, Absolutely. would you say like. Absolutely. And like the a, mistakes, you know, I write so much about the mistakes that I made that in retrospect, I wish I had avoided, like really kind of feel like giving people the wisdom that I learned from falling on my face. Mm -hmm. But actually one of the big uh, pieces of advice I give in my book is like, you know, failure is not bad. Some of the greatest things in my career have happened from failure, you know? Like you don't get a part and you're defeated and this is the worst news you've ever heard. But that person remembers you for something else down the road. I mean, yeah. that happens all the time. But you so. never think of that in the moment. I mean, you it took don't. me forever to even, uh, you know, apply that to walking out of a room. Because you're just so in that moment. You're thinking of that one thing, right? Yes, yes. And it's all connections. And I, so I always encourage people to just keep doing what you're doing. And if you fall on your face, it's okay. It's really fine because something really amazingly wonderful can spring out of that. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. feel like it right then, but it can. Sure. You you can get a part and, or you can not get a part, but then because you have that time off, then you get an, an, another part for a greater show that you actually wanted. Absolutely. That, that isn't just a paycheck. So, yes. yes, there are, there is. And the only way we learn, like especially with stand-up, stand, stand-up I feel like it's this constant video game where you're going down the level and you go, oh, wait, okay, there's a spike there that comes out of the wall and it... <laughs> hits you so when you do it again (laughs) duck and cover and don't get hit by that spike so it's constant failure just so you know what to avoid in the future absolutely but I think your point Adam about you know the greatest thing stand up has given me so many uh, great like all of my careers my writing career spank you know for my stand up so I give it so much credit because it's really at the bottom of my DNA but talk about people skills that you learn from stand up I mean you know, when you perform, the audience is like a baby, you know, where you sometimes feel like, oh, I need to talk to the baby a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you get the rattle out, and then you, you, you shake the rattle, and then, oh, no, no, the, ooh, ooh, the baby's upset. Ooh, baby needs to be changed, you know? Yeah. And it's like every, you have to always monitor where they're at and how you have to change your game to oh fit Oh, my theirs. God, this baby hates Trump jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I should not do Trump jokes for this baby. This is a red state baby. How is, how is this baby not pro-choice? Yeah, uh, yeah. There, there really is just a, and it helps. I mean, in relationships, like I mean, reading the room in those situations. I think also too, there's a blessing and a curse. Like there's been relationships where I have gone for the joke more so in like a tense situation, <laughs> right, right. and uh, yes. and you know, and um, I think we're all guilty of that. You know, one. dated a girl who was uh, is, uh, in grad school for clinical psychology, and we got into an argument, and I think I said something along the lines of, "Quit treating her relationship like a class." And you know what? Funny in the moment to me, not so funny for the relationship. Yeah. <laughs> no. Things to not say by Adam right. Ray. Yeah, um, one of the things I really resonated with. Which is something my mom uh, uh, just um, spits out constantly uh, and has for a long time. Uh, and I've said it on the podcast, and she says she's been on this. Uh, shout out to, to uh, my mom, Puddin'. She uh, a Jew from Oklahoma, by the way. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. A handful they, out there. They there? make them there. <laughs> God. It's really it's a small factory, but I mean they 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 come out just as shiny as in New York. It's great. Is she in the Ripley's museum there? <laughs> she is. Yeah. <laughs> they should have a, a Ripley's. Jew. Believe it or not, they're Jews museum. A, a Jew from Oklahoma. Yeah. Believe it or not. <laughs> so she, but it was uh, the advice of you don't ask, you don't get. Right. Oh my God. Like at a yes. young age, yes. and so and that was the, maybe the only thing that business wise that I've really that she's advocated that I've taken from like high school to now. And I mean, it helps for, you know, podcasts with booking people and with, um, you know, uh, just being proactive. But then as we've learned and you talk about, there is that balance between like being a pain in the ass and being proactive. Exactly. It's like the squeaky wheel either gets the grease or is a huge pain in the ass and you throw the bike out. Yeah. 
But haven't heard that part of the story. <laughs> Do you have experiences in both worlds that gave you that uh, insight? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, something that I talk about in the book that I feel like is kind of a big secret, but I think it's like so um, important is, and I use it all the time is, you know, what you're saying, you don't ask, you don't get. So much of everything is about being proactive and being your own biggest advocate. But when I ask people for things, and I'm on both sides. People ask me for favors. People ask me for jobs. But I also go up for jobs. And um, I'm on the other side. So I always feel like a big secret is a way to approach someone, I think, is always better when you say, would you consider? Like, hmm. blank, fill in the blank. Would you consider me coming in and pitching some story ideas? Would you? Because when you say, would you consider, the ball's in their court. It's not threatening. Yeah. But as opposed to if I see... A producer out and about and I go can I come in and pitch some stories like right away you feel like yeah or I want to do this right? yeah, yeah yeah it just is so off-putting kind of eases your way into absolutely. it absolutely or and I will watch you sleep at night if you don't let me you know insert you know job <laughs> you know, I will yes. yeah I will be outside your window watching you sleep <laughs> but speaking of Trump you know I was on You're Celebrity on, You were on the Celebrity Apprentice. I mean, what the fuck? Yeah, and, so you uh, got hired by both a Senator Al Franken and President Donald right, Trump. I never thought of that before. Yeah. Oh, my God, Brad. Um, <laughs> Two Brad stories. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. I mean, you know, a lot of people would not remember me from Celebrity Apprentice because I was the first person thrown off. And, of course, when I got the gig... Chuck LaBella, the talent guy from NBC, was like, oh, we want you to do Celebrity Apprentice. Like, oh, fantastic. I said, I just don't want to be that loser that's thrown off first. He's like, oh, that won't happen. That won't happen. But then you you just didn't make the ice cream fast enough. Well, you know, know, it's a long story, but I got thrown under the bus by those bitches. You did. Yeah. But here's the thing. You know, when you're fired on Celebrity Apprentice, and it happens, you know, right there, it's not planned, and mm-hmm. it's like, I could see it coming, oh, he's about to say you're fired, and I was like, I'm not leaving here without something for my charity, which was North Shore Animal League. Yeah, that was a big move. Rescue. I love that you did that. And I just said to him, um, before I go, Mr. Trump, I know that you're a fan of North Shore Animal League, because he had told me that, and I said, um, would you consider giving them a donation? And he said, yeah, I'll give you $10,000. So, you know, I left Celebrity Apprentice first, Boom. but... I got a giant donation, but even that, would you consider giving a donation? How much better is that than, will you make a donation? Yeah. Like, ah. I think me it's fair money. if you do this. I mean, you fra- yeah. it's so crazy that just that phrasing is so, and also it, it's, it does put a little pressure on because would you consider, I mean, now it's like, all right, like this is kind of like, this is a nice thing to do. Like, would you consider? And yes. if you don't consider you it or don't, do it. That's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think you can ask anybody anything like that if you give them that out. You know, if they feel like, well, if I say no, that's okay, then you can really ask. Then um, I didn't consider it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not not so much pressure of make the decision right now. You're actually saying, would you consider, is would would, would you even think about making the decision in the future? Right, exactly. uh, You've been on Bill Maher a bunch, which Mm -hmm. you're phenomenal on. It's like one of my favorite shows. Have you known Bill a while just from being a stand up? I know Bill from day one. You were on the same, uh, you're you're, you're on the same young comedian special. We were. I, I know that. Yes, yes, we were on the same young comedian special. I mean, what's amazing is my. You know, stand-up audition stories. With the first day that I auditioned at a club, it was still there, the comic strip in New yeah, York City. Jerry club. Seinfeld was the MC and put me through. And when I auditioned at this club that's no longer around, what was amazing called Catch Rising Star. Yeah, the MC that night Legendary. was um, Larry David and put me through. So I literally, what? yeah, go back. My <laughs> and you've been friends day. with all these guys all your entire Since career then, now. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's well, you know, it's like coming up. I, I always love to talk to comics about who they came up with in mm-hmm. their kind of hometown club because yeah. it's really kind of like being family. Yeah, because, I mean, no one knows your your struggles and your and what you had to go through more than the people that went through it with you. Yeah. And those people that were in the trenches. And uh, even looking from like, okay, well, you came up at the same time as me, but you were in X city, I was in Y city. It's not exactly the same experience, right. but if you came up in that same city, then you know the same bookers, the same open mics that you all went to, the same crazy uh, comic that booked it that you kind of like, that paid you in cocaine. Yeah. Ha- uh, <laughs> Happened me twice. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you you you, ha- you have those shared experiences, and that that's and I believe Seinfeld was only MC for a year, but he was already like booking people or something. You know, it, it's amazing. He'd only been doing stand up for a year, but when I got to the comic strip, he was already like a rock star there, and it was amazing, amazing. because yeah. not only that, but he always worked hard on 
his act like you know we were a bunch of comics in our 20s coming up and every day we'd just screw around and he would every day like look at his watch and go I need to go home and write and we'd all look at him like nerd you know <laughs> but it's wow, like yeah he really always had an amazing work ethic so no one was ever surprised that he mm-hmm. made it so big because he's always had this monster um, commitment and you know work ethic towards stand-up that he still has people just don't and obviously when the documentary comedian came out like that to me was so incredible because you, people do and you know I, I did it before i saw that you look at people like that and you go oh they were always that great you know right you don't because you, you don't get to see the behind the scenes work that's put in and yeah. even if you see them at a club you're just like again you're like he's always that funny he's always been yeah uh you know will smith has always been that buff uh, or uh you know uh Whoopi goldberg has always had that that hair has always been that shiny uh and so uh, but then when you get to really see like the grind that goes into it yeah. uh you're like oh yeah like you have to seinfeld still had the talent obviously but like had to make that commitment and it's um and unfortunately like you know now with so much more access like there's i think people whether it's like you know they're on vine or youtube they there's like fast tracks they feel like they can take or um yeah without having to put the work and really develop that right. skill like or, there's people trying to transition into stand up from like vine and youtube that are like oh yeah i can do it cuz i'm doing it like here. and it's there's no substitute yeah, for it. you yeah. got to get on stage you know when i started out I had a you know a real rough patch with a lot of bad sets in a row, and I really thought about giving up. And a great comedian at the time, Stephen Wright, came over to me and said, "Carol, you got to do it every night for three years, and don't judge yourself. You just commit to doing it every night. Don't judge yourself. Yeah, that's and, huge. And it made so much of a difference because um, it's that time that you put in. And even now, when I do stand up, you have some nights that are like, I come home, it's like, oh my God, honest was the greatest. And then other nights, like, I just wasn't hitting it with them. It's just, and Jerry Seinfeld always made that analogy to me. He was like, a great ball player, um, a great average is like three something. Yeah. Yeah. Which he said is. Three, three out of ten. Yeah, exactly. If, if, if you hit three out of ten times, you will be one of the highest paid hitters in the league. Exactly. Which so, is which is amazing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, you use that advice from some a god like that, yeah. Yeah. and it makes a lot of sense. Did you, uh, did you, uh, the, um, uh, well, I guess what I was going to say with the Bill Maher stuff, have you always been that politically, I mean, just informed and involved? And, and second part, you're doing a lot more stand-up now, right? Yeah. Um, do you... Has that been charged by just um, wanting to get back on stage and the and the desire for that, or also because of just like is the state of the air before this Saturday? This will air. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wait, what is today? today yeah, today's this will come good. out oh, Thursday. Oh, yeah, great. Because yeah. I'm co-headlining the Improv this Saturday night. Yes, oh, fantastic. Yeah, with Kevin Pollock. Yes. Oh, that's yeah. a great show. So, I just watched your chat show with him. That was so great. Oh, thanks. Yeah, uh, yeah that was fun. Oh, great. Well, uh, eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. Perfect. Yes. Um, you know, I really got back into it because um, I just wanted to, you know, when you have an act that is working, uh, where you go out and you do it, you know, it sort of becomes like, I would joke around, like, it's like doing Oklahoma every night, you yeah. know, where you're kind of there, but you're not there. And I was like, I really want to write a lot of new material and be in the moment and be able to do uh, more gigs where I feel like I'm more myself. My act has gotten a little stale to me, so it's been so much fun to go out and do, do new material night, yeah. you know, with Neilan and um, get up on stage because, uh, you know, we all know there's there's nothing like it. I mean, the highest yeah. high, yeah, yeah. and it can also still be the lowest low, but yeah. there's nothing like and getting out there yeah, in front and, of people. And even someone who's been at it uh, as long as you have, uh, they're, they're still... Nothing gives me a greater thrill than writing a new joke and it working. Ugh, it, it, right? it, it's still the greatest feeling. Yes. There's, there's still no substitute for that. I've not found anything that comes close to writing a new joke, trying it that night, and then it hits and you're just like, I have a new toy to play yeah, with. Yeah, it's the best feeling. Yeah. And what I love about it is when you write those jokes at home that day, that was the joke that you thought, oh, that'll get nothing. That becomes the biggest joke now in your act. And the thing that you thought, oh, my God, I'm going to do this joke. It's going to kill. It's going to be a centerpiece yeah, of my act. Yeah. And it dies. Yeah. Yeah. You just never know. Yeah, never know. Uh, yeah. Now, when now when you talk about political issues, are you worried at all about dividing audiences or maybe having a group of people now not want to come see you because of because well, of a certain point of view? My stand-up, I mean, when I've done more, I've been political just because it's a political show. Yeah, but sure. when I do my stand-up, I really don't um, 
you know, get political because, Mm -hmm. you know, Jay Leno is also a great friend of mine and also been a real Yoda to me over the years and has given me some great advice. And, you know, he's like, when you get political, for every fan that you have by being that position, you also alienate somebody else. So why do it? Yeah, and and I've always had the viewpoint of like, I don't know, I just, I I see the comedy club and that whole scene as like an escape for people. Like they're trying to get away. I mean, they, you know, they do appreciate you making, um, you know, light of things that, that it might be dark but at the same time like you know i have a few things that i'm trickling in here and there but it's a few things and it's like a small chunk just because i do i'm at the point where i finally you know when you get to a point where you're like oh i think i know who i am on stage and my point of view and you actually have something to say about it right. that's kind of cool you want to explore that yeah um selfishly but at the same time and i feel like you know doing anything topical you're just really figuring out more who you are on stage because it's right in the moment and you're challenging your writing skills. Yeah. Um, and I think, too, the thing I've learned over the years is you don't have to be overtly political. You can just be funny. Yeah. People will yeah. get the politics anyway. I yeah. mean, you know, I talk about because, you know, I realized I was gay at 40 and I talk about, you know, my uh, about that, like my life threw me a surprise party and I talk about, yeah. <laughs> you know, my wife that we got married a year ago and that we have a son and just talking about that and making jokes about it and being light and funny about it is weirdly a political statement without like waving a flag a thousand on stage. percent. Sure, because yeah. Yeah, you're essentially saying who you are. And obviously, if if you say like, yeah, I just, I mean, I found I was gay at 40, then you're not going to follow that bit up with, and what's with these gays wanting to get <laughs> yeah. married? These freaking <laughs> queers. <laughs> hate them right <laughs> like we kind of we kind of yeah. get where you're gonna go with that yeah I did, absolutely i did love that joke i think you said it on the view or somewhere it was so great where maybe it was stern where you said uh um i just realized i was single divorced no kids and i wanted to find one more way to disappoint my mother yeah exactly that's such a wonderful jewish joke too <laughs> what uh wait so so that uh at 40 how does that how does that go down yeah. How does that go down? Well, here's what's wild. I mean, I you know was married. I got divorced, mm-hmm. and um, I just had like this. I was like, oh, I want my chic lesbian fling. Like, I yeah. really want that to happen. And um, I went to this Project Angel Food uh, charity dinner, and I sat across from this you know woman who I thought was gorgeous, and I was totally like smitten with her. And I thought, oh, this, this is who I want to have my yeah. chic lesbian fling with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like chic, uh, le- chic lesbian fling. That, <laughs> yeah. that sounds That's a documentary waiting to have. <laughs> right. That sounds so wonderful. Like it's a fragrance, yeah. like a Ben and Jerry's flavor. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And um, and lo and behold, you know, here we are, married twenty years later. Crazy. I mean, yeah, it's really, really. Wild. Those stories are. By the way, that's so crazy. I mean, like you know, obviously, like your intentions were different in the moment, but the, you still were like looking at it through this eyes of like. I mean, there was something that where you just like, I, I'm infatuated with this person. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, of course, you know. Like the first trip that we ever took together, we went to Hawaii together, yeah. and I was like so excited, like, oh wow, this is all going to happen, this is all going down, and you know, we go to this great hotel, and we, the bellman is, you know, in the room putting our bags away, and, you know, it's one of those things where the chatty bellman, like, can I show you your, uh, here's your leave and, the yeah. bedroom, he's like Zachary Levy from that episode <laughs> yeah. of Curb, you remember that, <laughs> yeah, 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 and the, the, the light switch on <laughs> and off, and there's like the TV and just volume up and down, yeah, yeah. leave and the bedroom, he's like going on and on and on and um. My wife, Lori, had this um, scuba diving bag, and he's making conversation, and he's like, oh, uh, you girls planning on doing any diving while you're here? And it's like, <laughs> uh, yeah, buddy, you have, you have no idea how much diving. Not, go, not going into reefs, though. <laughs> Unless you have a muff reef. <laughs> now, oh my now God. I do have That's to ask, so was there ever a moment, because you said, like, like, you know, you wanted it to be your chic lesbian fling, as, as, it, was pro- as it was progressing, did you ever, like, say to yourself in your head like wait a minute i'm not gay yes yeah, absolutely i mean it was really it was you know i mean i really had to search my soul of like wow i have all these feelings and right you know i didn't come out to my parents until it was a year because i really wanted to be sure this was like a thing but yeah. of course going home to my jewish parents on long island and i came out to them and i thought like they'd be upset and they were so supportive and i was the basket case i was of course you know so emotional and crying and I remember my father turning to me and saying Carol you know why are you crying and I said you know dad actually because I thought you'd be disappointed and he turned to me and he said I'll tell you when I was disappointed when you married that Gentile (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh my god, yeah, that's so, so Oh, what funny. a great line. The fact that, you know, she was a uh, Jew from Brentwood <laughs> yeah. and it's break out the Manischewitz and so do the horror. <laughs> that's so great. Oh, and so and good. and to once again tie it back into your book, which we can't emphasize enough, people need to go get. You you really bring you really talk about your parents and kind of how they guided you yeah. and yeah. and how they put you on your track and it, it's so great to see because you always kind of assume that every comic hates their parents in some in some weird <laughs> yeah, way yeah. Uh, but I love I love seeing when like Adam loves his mom I I, I love my parents so I I love seeing other supportive parents and uh, and that you guys have that great relationship yeah and you know my dad really wanted to be a comedian I mean it was his dream and he's mm-hmm. still to you know to this day, I've never met a comic who tells a joke better than my dad. It's crazy. But it's very cool to kind of have lived his dream and that he was so, that he got to see so much of my success, which, yeah. you know, it was really great when I did the Letterman show for the first time and my dad saw at that time, you know, my name in the New York Times and the TV listings. He was oh like, my oh, God. I cried like a baby. Yeah, that's got to be insane. Because yeah. yeah. what, uh, what did he, what was he a fan of comedically that you, uh, that kind of influenced you like early on do you remember well like listening to albums yeah or? comedy albums you know I'm of that um, generation that my parents you know I think it was one of the advantages of the way that um, I grew up back then like you listen to what your parents listened to nobody had their own earbuds it was like yeah. the parents were the DJs <laughs> right and my parents had great comedy taste I mean we listened to you know Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner album and uh, you know Alan Sherman, who was a guy who was a pop of the time, yeah. my dad would call. So choose, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Rodney but we are the funniest brand. Yeah, but at I'll the same time, that. I mean, not bad choices. Yes. Yeah, no legends. Yeah. Exactly. No, really, really knew his stuff, and mm-hmm. you know, I also worked for him. You know, at his um, optical shop, and you know, when your dad is your boss, you get such a different perspective. He was such a great boss. Like to this day. When people would be in the waiting room, my dad would always come out, see people in the waiting room, and go, hey, you know, hi, everybody, we're going to get to you all. Sorry about the wait, but I'm going to get to you. And even today, when I sit in a waiting room and, you know, and they just ignore you or they don't yeah. say anything, I always think of my dad would have been like, you got to tell your customers it's okay. <laughs> and you, you know well, they're there. And you know what? That's, uh, that's so gr- I love that you bring that up because I do that in my shows when if like the show starts late like if it's like uh-huh. the ten, if, if it's like the 10 p.m. show and right. it doesn't start till 10:45 i tell the mc like go on stage and say thank you for waiting thank you for right, right. thank you for being patient so smart. but hey you you uh, the the first show ran a little long you know your show is going to run a little long so we're all going to have a good time tonight something along those lines and every time you do that everyone even if they were having any thoughts of this fucking guy yeah. like it's like ah it's good exactly it's, just because it, you've acknowledged them and yeah. also that they're waiting and just, yeah. that's as simple it's as that pretty much the equivalent of cutting someone off someone's mad at you but then you wave at them they're like now oh, they waved yeah okay yeah. it's good <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's oh, good i right. can't i can't I, I can't be mad at them now right i will not road rage them <laughs> I, I was reaching for my glock <laughs> but now um i think it is so important to uh just to comment on like being influenced at a young age with comedy don't you think like Absolutely. i showed my uh, half brothers at um seven uh, or no maybe eight and ten uh, family guy and to this day they are hilarious and have such they're so into stand-up. They're so just like always right. sending me things that they find that are funny. And uh-huh. I'm like, oh, I for sure contributed to that. Right. I mean, I mean, you know, and maybe for the worse, like who knows? We'll find out if I think well, like, Seth MacFarlane the- had a hand in, that, in, in <laughs> yeah. that too. Yeah. yeah. A little bit. Who were the first like comedian that you saw that you said, oh, that makes me really want to do that? Eddie Murphy Raw. Wow. That's special. Probably Eddie okay. Murphy. Well, Eddie Murphy Delirious for stand-up. John Belushi for my dad showed me a best of John Belushi SNL. Uh, wow. And... Uh, yeah, and also Sinbad, uh, Sinbad um, uh, old tape, but it was the Belushi where it was like seeing just the act, like yeah. in a sketch and with other people that it was just like, that is some, like, it was just, it was mind blowing. I mean, I was like, I must have watched it 5,000 times. Oh I mean, God. well, because yeah. when you're a kid, you do that. It, 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 it's so amazing how as adults, we kind of churn through entertainment so fast mm-hmm. and we, and we watch it, we get it. And you like, you watch a comedian special and then you write him a note on Facebook saying, Hey, when's your next one coming out? Yeah, you're like, yeah. enjoy this <laughs> for a little bit. Right. But, and then as a kid, you can just, you, you, you watch the same tape over every, and over. every day That's, and still you know, love it. 
it. Great documentary I just watched. Have you heard about this one about? It's on um, Showtime about National Lampoon. Uh, I, I was just that. about yeah. to watch that. Is it? It is so so good, oh, and there's good. so Fantastic. much Belushi in it. Oh, good. Yeah, oh, good. yeah. yeah but there's not enough. I mean, I know they're working on a bio a biopic, but I mean, it's just like that guy was, you know. Uh, yeah, like a a flash. Did you ever get to come across him? I never met him. No. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to it. Um, Early on, Alan Zweibel and I became uh, pals when I was oh, nice. coming up as stand-up, and he was a writer at SNL. And I remember I went to, he brought me to a taping, and I went to an after party, but it was the same thing. I mean, you know, I was even shyer then oh, yeah. to, like, go over to anybody, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I want to know how... There's so many things, by the way, that, And I mean, we will get to the Bette Midler story, yeah. I yeah. promise you. <laughs> Are you good for another, like, 25 minutes? Are you, yeah? Another 25? To 145 or what? 145 yeah? is fine. Yeah. Okay, great. Okay. Um, uh, there's so many things in the book to talk about and I also don't want to regurgitate stories but um, there's so much stuff to get to and um, the book is where's the main place people could get it just um, on Amazon okay. or barnesandnoble.com yeah you can go to aboutlastnightpodcast.com click on the Amazon banner uh, oh. you can order the book and then we get a couple shekels as well yes oh nice by the way do not sleep on the audiobook, which is what I did and that was mm-hmm. phenomenal <laughs> you you have I mean such a great storytelling voice oh, and it's so you. easy to listen to and it's just, I mean, for me, I think that's, uh, you know, I, I don't know. That's the, if, you, if there's somebody as entertaining as you doing that, like, I feel like that's the route. Wow. Did that take a while? Um, yeah. You know, when you record an audiobook, what is great about it is you get to read your own stuff. Yes. But what sucks about it is anytime you make any kind of like mistake or go over a word incorrectly, you got to do it all over oh, yeah. again. Oh, so yeah. it was a little like, uh, you, you know, I spaced it out over a few days or sure. you'll go out of You lose your mind, mind. just yeah. reading the same shit. Um, but I mean, look, I mean, when people read it, it's fun to like read it with your own voice, but uh, your timing isn't better than Carol Liefer, so listen to the audiobook <laughs> um, is my suggestion. But um, uh, I want to know, because uh, I met you through Mad TV. Yes. Um, what was like, I mean, from being SNL sketch and then that, first of all, how did that come about um to get that job and then i want to know like what were some some differences that um we can talk about yeah experience wise um well you know just uh having written for snl um my agent just last spring said um they're very interested in you coming aboard uh mad tv staff and um you know getting back to what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast you know i'm also a fan of like just you know doing things to also just if there's any trepidation i always say to myself just do it you know do things to scare you uh because um it's going to lead to other great things like sitting here and meeting you and a million other great people um so basically that's what happened and i had a meeting with david salzman who you know has been with bad tv the executive producer since the beginning and um and we worked on it i mean what's amazing was it was only three months yeah. to shoot eight episodes. Yeah. And That's I've a never worked on a schedule like that where it's that kind of um, turnaround. But, um, you know, in retrospect, uh, it was a great experience. Yeah. And so much so because of the great people that I uh, have met and worked with and will continue to work with, you know, moving forward. I mean, have you heard if. <laughs> doing anymore <laughs> um I, I i check in uh semi-regularly um i know that they want to mm-hmm. uh, they want to do like some specials uh-huh. and they're on the fence about a season and so i think um which to me is it's like we'll do bo- both and like i guess it did like well enough in its time slot uh-huh. despite like you know I mean, lack of promotion and the quick turnaround and all that. So, and yeah. you would think too, like giving everybody a chance to gel like that, like any show, right? You should, uh, especially with a franchise like that, if you're going to bring it back, like should do a few seasons to let people to really see what it can be. Yeah, absolutely. And that seems like, I guess, easier said than done because um, I'm not an exec, but. Um, but I will really say, Adam, that you were such a bright spot oh. on the show. And I'm not just saying it because I'm sitting here with Brad doing your podcast. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Well, it was, um, I mean, it was, you know, it was an honor to uh, to meet you and, and have you, like, you know, be writing stuff that I would get to say. And also, you complimented me about separation anxiety, which uh, I never get to hear. What was that? The game show with Eliza. Oh, my God. Oh, Hilarious. That's right. What if it wasn't you? <laughs> what was that? I didn't even know. <laughs> I never watched it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, you said you'd caught it somehow. Yeah. On, yeah. Right. The TBS game show. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Are you doing more of those? Um, no, I, I seem to have a good pattern of one and done. <laughs> no, that it's was like the John really Calipari. Good, <laughs> you were really, you're a really good host. I mean, you're so talented as a comedic actor, and I still have to see your stand up, but, um, you were so good on that. It was fun. Well, it was, you know, the, I guess apparently TBS wanted to make it more, uh, sexual and more like newlywed game type. And I know Eliza wasn't a huge fan of that. Okay. Um, and then they also, I heard, wanted like a, a more Steve Harvey older type host for the main host. Right. And I, and you know, that just really was mind blowing. Cause I was like, it's kind of great that you have two comics as hosts yeah. that, uh, yeah. that can go back and forth. And are hosty enough, and, yeah. but without right, being right. totally secresty. But, um, you now, uh, speaking of hosts and also, I think it's dope that you EP'd better late than never yes, with our boy I Jeff Dye yes. and mm-hmm. I mean, Winkler and Foreman and right, Shatner right, and right. who's the last one? Uh, Terry Ter- 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 Bradshaw. Terry Bradshaw. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, of course, with your Henry Winkler story, you know, I went to Asia for five weeks with those guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and Jeff Dye, you know, a comedian who is a contemporary. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was so much fun and so wild to travel with those guys. It, from the stories he told us, I can't imagine like. I mean, if you're going on any sort of like trip after that, I'm like, I don't know how you're topping anything. Like, it just sounded yeah. like the best crew. Ev- everyone was doing things that were out of their element, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How does a show like that, um, how do you get attached to it? And then, I mean, is it another thing that scared you that you were like, I'm going to do it? Or were you in on the on the ground floor? Um, what was great, well, you know, talk about um, things that, you know, people don't realize they just see Better Late Than Never on the air and go, oh, it's a funny show and it's so great. You're part of it. I mean, it started two years ago where um, <laughs> people, <laughs> all right, I was thrown off Celebrity Apprentice, yeah. of course, <laughs> which was a super duper giant failure in anybody's book. Did a part of you like hearing you're fired? Like, were you like, oh, cool, I got, or no, was it just so? Well, I did also because people don't realize it's so intense to be on that show. You are working six days a week, like uh, 16 hour days. Oh my God. Yeah, there's no let up in sight. So it was a little like, Oh, we all get paid the same. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, and you got and you got ten grand for your charity. And I got ten grand so, for charity, right? Kind of a win. Yeah, it was a win-win. Yeah, but um, you know, the guys from NBC remembered me from um, Celebrity and Predators, wow. and they were looking for a comic who could punch up and think of funny situations and um, for the guys and go along on the trip and uh, kind of uh, you know think of it as a bit of a sitcom like situations we could get the guys into surprise them Mm -hmm. Um, and that's how I got the the gig but what was amazing was two years ago uh, there was another cast member that um, NBC wanted to add and then at the last minute it didn't happen and so the show went away until the following summer so you know same thing it's like we're all destroyed like oh that was a great idea for a show that never happened and then it came back so wow. like you just never know and you, and what's even happen. and even going on celebrity then i mean going on celebrity apprentice right. uh yeah. you get and to exact- do that job from that mm-hmm. that's great and all and also i want to emphasize your ability to be flexible in terms of the, the the type of comedy that you do whether it be writing for a sketch show which you've done uh, whether it be stand up whether it be uh, writing for a sitcom which hello Seinfeld yes. okay so which you've done that and then writing for an award show you you wrote so many times on the Academy Awards yeah which yeah. Uh, now that that's coming up again like I can't imagine writing jokes for that show because it's it, it, to me it has to be so you really can't offend anyone. It's gonna be like so vanilla. Like, were you pressured in those situations to like push the envelope? Or you know, it depends really on the host. I mean, yeah. so much of that uh, gig is volume. You just have to constantly be writing jokes, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's a pretty quick evaluation from the host of what they. But it, it's really like. They probably get from all the writers a hundred jokes every day when oh you're gosh, in pre-production. Yeah, and you just have to keep uh, rolling on. I think the the funnest thing about that gig when I've done and I've done it seven times is wow. 
you know, when you're backstage and the yeah. host comes off and something has just happened and it's like, I need pitch, something yeah, for yeah, this. Yeah. Whoa. So do you have a bunch of jokes ready in that moment or are you just in that moment? Yeah. yeah whatever. You kind of have to pitch. And uh, it's kind of like survival of the fittest. Whoever gets out there and gets the joke that the host goes, yes, I'm going to do that. But a lot of times when I've worked on the show, they put me also in the green room because of being with the celebrities and kind of going over their mm-hmm. um, bit because um, I always felt like I was very complimented that they felt like I wasn't intimidated of a lot of celebrities. Yeah. So I would kind of go over their thing with them and then kind of be a little bit of, um, you know, the disciplinarian, like, well, oh, I want to change this. It's like, oh, you know, it's so late in the process. I don't know if we can, like, you know, kind of standing up <laughs> to the celebrities. But um, that, 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 that's got to be hard and intimidating when, like, Sean Penn goes, that's not funny. And you're like, trust me. You're like, Sean Penn, you don't know what funny is. <laughs> funny. <Yeah. laughs> you know what? I, I really give the celebs, uh, you know, a lot of credit because, mm-hmm. you know, they go out and they're, most of them, they're actors. They're not as, you know, they don't go out as one like we do as comics. Right. And they're petrified. They're so They really nervous. are, huh? Yeah. I well, mean, you it, see it up close and personal. It's one thing to do it on camera in a closed set. It's another thing to do it when you have a packed yeah. Kodak theater, or Dolby Theater, whatever the hell it's called now. But uh, yeah, when you have all those people now looking at you like, oh, this is a different animal. Right. And if you don't have that, if, if you don't have the live audience chops right. from doing either Broadway yeah. or plays or something, then so yeah, it can be intimidating. I've really found that they've always been really kind of um, trusting about like, oh, if you go out there and really have a good feeling, this will be good, this will work, yeah. just believe in it. And, and they take your advice because I think... You know, it's it's funny to see them in that kind of vulnerable state, you know, but um, it's always been so nice and, you know, like We're, just a giant thrill. Didn't you go to Steve Martin's house? Or? Yes. Oh, yes. my God. Well, I wrote for Steve Martin and Alec Baldwin that year. I mean, um, that's bonkers. Yeah. And he's like, uh, Steve is like, oh, let's have the writers come up to the house and all write today at the house. And, I, you know, literally <laughs> turned to my wife, Lauren, who said, okay, I'm going to Steve Martin's <laughs> house today to write jokes. Like, that was my pinch me oh my God. moment of, like, if I had ever told myself in college that this would ever be happening, I would never have believed it. Right. And also still turns out to be one of the nicest, most decent guys. I mean, I have a blurb from him that's, you know, right yeah. in, in the read some of those. inside mm-hmm. flap of my book. And, you know, what's amazing is when I sent... I said, oh, Steve, would you, you know, be so kind as to give me a blurb? He was like, well, send me the book and I'll read it. And then I was like, lucky enough, he's like, oh, I have jury duty next week. I'll read the whole thing. And he did. Steve and Martin has jury duty? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I get from that story. Is yeah. I, can't, I can't imagine be, being a lawyer going, ladies and gentlemen, is that Steve fucking yeah. Martin in yeah, my yeah, jury yeah, box? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> Well, something had just happened too. I said, don't turn it to Tom Hanks because Tom Hanks had just done it and people were like, you know, all over him asking for autographs. Yeah. But, I know um, Oprah did it at some point. Yeah. Oprah did jury duty. Yeah, we live in America. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> Steve, Steve Martin says of Carol's book, a remarkable memoir that's packed with anecdotes, advice, and humor, all while, man- all while maintaining a high level of dignity and self-awareness. From well, Steve, from Steve from Martin. Steve Martin. Wow. Yeah. Who that never gets old. Yeah. 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 Um, well, uh, you're gonna have to come back. I would love to. Yeah. You're amazing. We, are, I mean, we. I. Yeah. We can go off on Seinfeld uh, stories. I, I have to talk come on back that. to tell the Bette Midler. Oh, story. you have Look to. Look at that tease. We continued. Yes. <laughs> um, and also, we've got some shows coming up that you got to get on stand-up wise too. Yeah. Absolutely. Are you gonna try to do a late night set? You know what? I really <laughs> like going like on should. early. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because... Um, no, I mean, late night sit on TV, I mean. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant like clubs. <laughs> um, 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 oh, doing spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. A, like, like a um, Tonight Show or something. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the great talent guy from the Tonight Show is so nice, and I've been saying to him, you know, I want to show you my stuff, but I want to get it down to totally. like, the mm-hmm. best thing. It's so. a good move. Yeah, and so. and will and will this be if you do the Tonight Show with Jimmy? Will this be your third Tonight Show host? Yeah, let me think. Well, I did it with Jay as host, yeah. Johnny. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it will be. I don't know. If, uh, yeah, I don't know how many people will have that feather in their cap, but I think you almost have to do it just for that reason. I know. Yeah, I know. but you never did stand up on the Bonnie Hunt show, and that's going to be your one regret. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you for making time. Thank you, You're guys. the best. It was really fun. So, that's the show. Thanks for tuning in. We had laughs and stuff.
listening to the About Last Night podcast with Brad Williams and Adam Ray. Boy, they're a lot of fun, huh? Why don't you subscribe on iTunes to this fucking podcast, give them a five-star rating so this midget and this Jew can feel good about themselves for a couple minutes. Also, get on your iPhone or Android and get the podcast app. You can also listen to it on Stitcher or aboutlastnightpodcast.com, where you can hear past episodes with great guests like Lisa Kudrow, Paul Feig, Kevin Nealon, Bob Saget, Dion Cole, Chris D'Elia, Adam Devine, Michael McDonald, Jaleel White, Bud Friedman, Steve-O, Harlan Williams, Tom Arnold, Ron Funches, Rick Glassman, Blake Anderson, Anders Holm, Jessime Peluso, Joey McIntyre, and many, many more. I'm Tony Danza. Thanks for listening to the About Last Night podcast. Good night. That's it, right? You got it? Sweet. Boy, it smells good in that booth, by the way. What kind of candle is that? Hanukkah Willow? <laughs> nice.